This morning we continue in our study from the Gospel of John, and today we're going to be in the 11th chapter, so if you have your Bibles, if you would open there. Actually, this 11th chapter is one of the most remarkable chapters in all of the New Testament. It describes a miracle that's not found in any of the other Gospel accounts, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And in the midst of that miracle, Jesus makes one of the most staggering claims that he ever made. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. And what he says has profound influences and implication on all of us. There's probably not a person in this room who at one time or another has lost somebody that you love to death. And you know what that's like, the grief That sense of loss, the pain that death brings upon us. But Christians deal with death, the death of loved ones, in a different kind of way. Yes, we grieve, but we grieve with a different kind of grief. Because we have hope. And that hope is based on the very claims that Jesus makes in this passage today. So we turn now to John chapter 11, beginning... In the 17th verse, and we'll be reading through the 27th verse. This is the word of God. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. For I know that even now God will grant you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into this world. This is the word of God. Let's pray here together. This morning, Lord, as we open this remarkable passage of Scripture, I pray that you would grant us understanding and and comfort. And so you, O Holy Spirit, who inspired John to write these words, would you open our hearts that we would be able to understand, and would you speak to us this morning? For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if anything, this passage makes us acutely aware of the consequences of living in a fallen world. And there's no doubt that one of the most painful consequences of this fallen world is death. All of us have faced it in one way or another with somebody we love. But this morning, I want to first of all look at it in light of a family that Jesus loved dearly. Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They had been very close to Jesus. 
And actually, we're told that Jesus loved them so much. And he spent a great deal of time in their home. You remember that Mary, you remember Mary. Mary was the one who loved him so much. And she so adored him, she took the most precious, costly thing that she could find in her home. And it was that vial of perfume that was probably at least a year's wages for her. And she loved him so much, she took that earthly treasure of her because she treasured him more and she anointed with him. And she's also the one who sat at the feet of Jesus. You remember this? She would sit at the feet of Jesus. She never wanted to miss one word that he ever had to say. Now, on the other hand, you had Martha. Martha was the practical one. She was the one who would get distracted easily. She wanted to make sure the house was in order. The meals were being prepared. And you get a sense of this relationship between this family and Jesus just in watching them interact. And you remember the time Martha, Martha is so frustrated with Mary, she goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you even care that my sister's left me here to do all the work? Tell her to come help me. It was the kind of relationship that they had. One of intimacy, friendship, and Jesus absolutely loved them. But here's the point I want to make this morning. As much as Jesus loved them, even they were not exempt from the consequences of living in this fallen world. And this is true of all of us Christians. None of us is exempt. I think there are some people who get surprised when we're faced with trials and difficulties and pain and suffering. But we shouldn't be because Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. Now, the good news is, he says, but I've overcome the world. But look at the first part. In this world you will have trouble. And those of us who've been around for a while, we understand that, don't we? Because, you see, those are the consequences Those are the consequences of living in this broken world. But while we're not exempt from these consequences, here's the difference of a Christian. We have Jesus with us in our troubles. He comes to us. He upholds us. He is with us. The very first thing these sisters did when they saw that their brother was in critical condition, the very first thing, you find this in verse 3, of John 11, the first thing they did is they sent word to the Lord and they said, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And let me stop right here and let me remind you of this. Jesus wants us to come to him when we're troubled. When we go through times of sorrow, when we go through times of pain, when we go through times of grief, he bids us to come to him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. I'll tell you this. Mary and Martha knew that they needed Jesus. And they found great comfort when Jesus came to him. You read it. Martha goes running out when she hears that he's come. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Well, let me emphasize again, we're not exempt from affliction and suffering and pain and death. But we have the Lord with us in the midst of it. 
A verse that has meant so much to me over the years is from Isaiah 43. Now, I don't want to get too morbid here today, but when, when Ann died um, 14 years ago, I, I went ahead and put my grave marker down. I figured I'd save my family a whole lot of work. So it's all, all they got to do is put the date on it. But I put this verse on it because this verse has meant so much to me through all of the years. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Some of you are going through deep waters. Some of you may even feel like you're drowning. But I want you to hear the Lord's promise to you. When you pass through those times, he says, I will be with you. You see, he comes to us in our suffering to give us comfort and strength. He enters into our suffering with us and he upholds us through times of suffering. And the reason he does that is he's the great high priest who comes to our aid. He sympathizes with us. It's amazing. Isaiah 53, most of you know that passage. It talks about he was, all of us like sheep have gone astray each to his own way. The Lord laid upon him. The, we realize that it's talking about his work on the cross. But look at this verse. Often we overlook this one. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you understand what that's saying? When you're going through these difficult times in your life, you're not alone in them. Jesus comes and he takes up our infirmities. And when we're going through those times of, of sorrow and grief and hurt, we're not alone because he comes. I love the, the imagery here. He carries, he takes them upon himself and he carries them with us. That's the great work of our Savior. Yes, we will face the consequences. But yes, we have him with us in it. Well, even though Jesus is with us in our times of difficulty and struggles, I'll tell you, when death comes, it leaves a sting, doesn't it? And I want to look at that. From first the family standpoint, the two sisters, but then I want to look at it from Jesus' standpoint. So let's look at it from the sisters first. They'd lost their brothers. They experienced the sting of death. Now, most of us know what that's like. That pain, that grief, that deep sense of loss, that gut-wrenching pain, the overwhelming sense of loss and hurt. And these sisters were grieving. They hurt. The brother whom they loved so much was gone. When Martha told Mary that Jesus had arrived and that he was asking for Mary then ran out to Jesus and she fell at his feet and she began weeping. And she said the same thing Martha did. Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, they were grieving. And grief is the natural response to the sting of death. Grief is an emotion that God has given us. 
God himself experiences grief, as we'll see. But Christian grief is different from those who are not Christians. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We're not left hopeless. We know that there's something better, don't we? That God has something far better than the best this world ever has to offer us. And we have the hope that we will see our loved ones again. And we know that God will comfort us in our times of grief. You know, I've been in ministry now almost 45 years. And I believe at almost every funeral service, memorial service I've ever done, the family asked me to read from the 23rd Psalm. And you know the words well. You see, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because Jesus comes to bring us that hope. And he comes in our grief to bring comfort. These are the words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then you know the next. Say it with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Do you see it? That is our Savior. He comes to us. And even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, even when death stares us in the face, or we experience the death of somebody we love, our Savior is not removed. He comes for us. He comes to carry our sorrows. Listen, we must never try to avoid grief. I've seen people who do that. They try to avoid grief, and that's unhealthy. But at the same time, we must not grieve as those who have no hope. You see, there comes a time in our grief when we have to move forward, knowing that God will sustain us and grant us grace to continue living in the great hope of eternal life. There's some people who have a hard time ever getting over the death of a loved one. It's an unhealthy kind of grief. We never forget those that we love. But I'll tell you this, we have to come to the point of acceptance. And then we have to move forward in our lives to fulfill God's purposes. And I will promise you this, I know this from personal experience, that Jesus gives the power to do so. Jesus came to Mary and Martha in their grief. He entered into it with them. Now let's turn to Jesus. How did he handle this grief? I was meeting with somebody who's in our church and involved in very, very effective ministry here in town. And he and I were meeting for coffee the other morning, just talking about ministry. And he made this statement to me. He said, Jesus reveals the heart of God to us. Jesus reveals the heart of God to us. 
And what you're going to see here is the heart of God when it comes to our times of suffering and pain when we have to deal with death. And you see it in Jesus. His first response is not at all what we would have anticipated. Now look at verse 33. And many people who don't understand what this verse means. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, most of the translators do the best they can to take the Greek and to put it in some kind of language we can understand. The problem with this translation is most of us think, well, we've all been in that position. We've been with people who've lost somebody, and certainly we're moved in spirit and we're troubled with them, and there's that kind of sense. But let me tell you, that's not the word that's used here. It's a word that outside of the Bible, believe it or not, means the the snorting of horses. And in the context of emotions, invariably means anger. Some of the other translations say Jesus became angry in spirit. He was, another says he's outraged in spirit. Now, what is it that angered Jesus? John Calvin really helps us with this. This is what he says. The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. Jesus was angry. The evil of death. He's angry when he sees the, the pain of that, the unnaturalness of it. Now, we, most of us say, well, it's natural. I mean, we're going to die. We live. We die. Listen, when God originally created us, that wasn't the way it was to be until sin entered the world. And the evil of sin brought death. He was angry over these things. And as Jesus observed Mary, he sees and feels the misery that death brings upon us. It's death that is the object of his wrath. I was reading John Calvin on this. He said, uh, Jesus' soul is held by rage as he advances to the tomb as a champion prepared for conflict. He gets angry over death's grip and the pain that it brings. Now, I don't know about you, but when I began to really understand this, it gave me great comfort. To know that Jesus gets angry when we lose somebody we love. Because, you know, most of us, most of us at one time or another have experienced anger ourselves. You know, you had, who was it? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who came up with the stages of grief and talked about denial and then anger and then bargaining. There were several of those stages. But anger was in there. It was just a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting with someone who had lost his loved one. And he said to me, the two of us alone, he said, I'm angry. It's comforting to me to know that Jesus is angry too. But let me be quick to say we need to be careful about the object of our anger. 
Some people get angry at God. He's the wrong person to be angry with. Because he is in anger with you over this. You see, our anger should be the same anger Jesus feels. It should be over death, that death robs us, that death brings terrible pain upon us. He was angry. But then we move to the other side and we're told that he wept. He burst into tears. And the Jews who were there watching all of this said, see how he loved him. I want to tell you, here is the deep compassion of our Lord. He weeps over us. He grieves with us. He is the great high priest who sympathizes with us in our pain and sorrow. He is one with us in our need. He grieves with us. He feels our pain. He sheds tears over us and with us. Surely he took our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. He is the God who sees our pain and the God who enters into it with us. And I want to say to those of you here this morning who are going through times of pain and grief, we have almost every week we have people who lose loved ones in our church because we've got a big church. But I want to tell you this. You are not alone. Jesus comes with you. And he comes alongside of you to bring his comfort and his presence in your life. Well, we come now to the great hope of the gospel. The great hope of the gospel. And we find it in Jesus' encounter with Martha. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, well, I know that he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. I know that. She believed in the resurrection of the dead. It was part of the great messianic Jewish hope. And we know the surety of that ourselves. That Jesus Christ is coming to this earth again. And when he comes again, there is a resurrection in which our bodies will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 tells you about it. They'll be resurrected into these new bodies that we have that are perfect in every way. And our bodies and souls will be reunited and the new heavens and the new earth come. And for all eternity, we'll be with the Lord. That's what awaits us out there. And Martha knew that. Oh, my brother will rise at the end. But I think Jesus had something far greater in mind as well. He moves her from what's going to take place on the last day to now. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, certainly it speaks of the resurrection, the final resurrection of believers 
on the last day. But it also speaks about the resurrected life now. In the 10th chapter, Jesus spoke about that. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it in the full. People who are living. This is not something just for the future. It's something that we can experience now. Some call it the abundant life. That life that brings great joy and strength to us. In spite of all the terrible consequences of living in this fallen world, we can find joy and we can find peace and we can find fulfillment. This is the indestructible life of the resurrection that we have. It is God's eternal life, saving life, the life of the kingdom that is given to us now. It means experiencing his love, his acceptance, his presence in our lives. It means that we have value now. Listen, here's what I think he was talking about. Certainly the resurrection at the end. But what he's saying is, oh, but there's so much more to life now. I came that you may have life and have it in its fullness. And do you know what the key to having life in its fullness is? Is to realize Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives where? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you understand how Jesus' presence, he lives his life in you? It doesn't say simply that he's in you, but he lives in you. That is this life. You have his power. You have his strength. You can find joy, his joy. You can find his peace, even in the midst of all of our struggles and sorrows, because he lives in us. Do you see how powerful this is? You see, to believe in Jesus means that death lies defeated. Remember what he said? He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever believes in me will never die. Yes, unless the Lord comes back first, there will be a time when our earthly bodies die. We will all face that unless Jesus comes back. But not our souls. Our souls immediately at physical death, immediately at physical death, go into the presence of Jesus. And they join that great host in heaven around the throne in that glorious worship. And that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me tell you, now we can experience the life of Jesus in us. The eternal life of God received through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the life, life eternal, abundant life. And he turns to Martha after that, and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And you remember she answered immediately, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. But I want to ask you this morning, do you believe this?
Do you believe this? If you do, you have the life of God in you. You have Jesus living his life in you. You have his power and presence with you always. You are never alone, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And because of that, we have an eternal hope that ultimately we never die. But we will go immediately into the presence of Jesus. And we can be assured that one day we're going to see our loved ones who died in the Lord again. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the climax to this whole thing comes. When Jesus walks up to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. The omnipotent God spoke. And by his all-powerful command, the dead man came out. Let me tell you, at his glorious return, the last enemy will be defeated forever. The death of death will take place and death will be no more because Jesus Christ has conquered. He conquered the tomb. And in 1 Corinthians, we read these words, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, what do we say to these words? All we can say is thank you that you love us. Thank you that you come to us in our grief. Thank you that you carry our sorrows. You're our great high priest. And thank you for the hope of eternal life. Thank you that right now we know that those that we love who who have died in, in the Lord are with you right now and we'll see them again one day. But thank you also that you live in us to give us life now. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. And Lord, may we never forget that we've been crucified with you. And now it's you who lives in us. Send us out with that great hope of the gospel this day. But we make this prayer in the name of our Savior. Amen.